this episode of Change Voices, the podcast where we explore the challenges, successes, and lessons of leadership through the experience of women leaders across Africa and beyond. I'm your host, Paula Frey. In this session, we're going to explore issues of reporting on information, communication technologies, and the gender gap in technology. Our guest today, Samantha Perry, is the co-founder of Women in Tech ZA, an initiative that aims to address the gender diversity gap in the tech sector. Samantha sits on the UN Office for South-South Cooperation, Women in Tech Program Secretariat. She has been a judge for the GSMA Glomer Awards, which celebrate companies and individuals driving innovation in the rapidly evolving mobile industry. A journalist by training, Samantha has worked with organizations such as Google, Striata, Telcom, MTN, and Dimension Data, amongst others. So welcome, Samantha. Thank you. So how did your interest in reporting on ICTs come about? Completely by accident, I must tell you. I um, studied public relations and uh, I did a national diploma at what would have been Bits Technicon in those days. It's now become UJ with RAL. And you have to do a year prac as well as two years theory. And in my year prac, I was working at Telcom as a student PR. And I met a, a mechanical engineering student who was working off his bursary. And the two of us being reasonably sort of, you know, useless students weren't exactly overworked. And Telcom in those days actually had access to the internet. This is 1995. And they were one of the first organizations aside from Rhodes University to actually have internet access in South Africa. So Jeff introduced me to the internet and the two of us spent a great amount of hours browsing what, what in those days was very, very rudimentary internet <laughs> with very, very slow bandwidth. And... Um, Fast forward a few years, and uh, I ended up working at Internet Solutions, which got me even more into the tech space. I then moved out of PR into journalism, working for a technical film and broadcast magazine, which got me more into the technology space. And then, um, yeah, there was a, a job opportunity for a journalist at Computer Week, I think, yeah, as it was in those days. Again, a long time ago in a galaxy here, far, far away. And I wasn't really sure if I had enough tech knowledge to do this, but the guy I was dating at the time was like, you're smart, you can work it out, just go for it. So I did. And the rest is history or hysterics, depending on how you want to view it. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember those dial-up internet connections, right, where you literally kind of phone the internet in order to get onto it. <laughs> so. Right. Um, I mean, it's just been such a long time ago and, and the changes that we've had. I mean, it's interesting, um, your slow progression into technology, but also that you were constantly pushing your own boundaries. Um, so every time you seem to change a job, you, you seem to get deeper and deeper into the space. I mean, a lot of the issues that we identify with women in technology seem to be a lack of confidence. Um, did you ever encounter that with yourself, with others? No, completely. I mean, I spent a lot of my a lot of my journalistic career. I even now have a reputation for being quite a formidable journalist and reporter and a, a well-respected uh, technology journalist. But I can't tell you. I spent most of my career feeling at a complete disadvantage, as if everybody else around me, and particularly the male journalists, knew better than I did, or understood better than I did, or was seeing things that I wasn't. And it took me a long time to eventually kind of work out. Firstly, the reason that I was seeing stuff that they weren't wasn't because they were smarter. It was actually because I'm smarter. <laughs> and they just weren't seeing stuff that I was. But I didn't have the confidence to speak up because, 
you know, you're a woman in this male-dominated sector. Um, certainly when I was much younger, you get the, the more senior men are very patronizing, particularly mm -hmm. to young female journalists. This again being 25 odd years ago. I'm, it's changed. I think it still ages. happens in some places. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot better. It's not great. So, yes, I certainly I spent a lot of my career um, feeling at a disadvantage, feeling that I didn't really understand or that maybe, you know, that everybody talks about imposter syndrome now as a thing, but feeling like a bit of a fake um, mm. and a fraud. And it's only perhaps in the last 10 years that I've kind of grown enough to embrace my own power and my own understanding and really come you know into some sense of confidence in, in who I am and my expertise and my skill set so it's taken a long time and I think having more women role models in tech and whatever other fields who are willing to to talk to each other and work with each other would be quite helpful because certainly in the male-dominated sectors over the course of my career there's also there's been a lot of competition and I'm not sure that that does us as women much good. It's much better if we cooperate to build each other up rather than competing for either male attention or the few spaces that are available to women in those traditional male strongholds. So it's a... It's, it's a fairly, online is a fairly hostile environment often for women. I'm just thinking from a journalistic point of view, the research we've done about the kind of online nice. harassment that women journalists have um, but then if you look at things like Gamer, Gamergate, right? yeah. complete online harassment campaign um, against um, women gamers for women in the gaming sector and, and journalists who are writing about it. I mean, it can be quite hostile. Have you encountered that um, over the years? Um, I have, but not to a massive extent. I think because by the time that the internet became pervasive, I'd become a lot more confident, but I think it's because I am older and more confident and I'm, I'm reasonably hard to intimidate at the best of times. Mm -hmm. But I know for a lot of women, it's a massive issue. I know um, we've had our female journalists' addresses published on online, uh, online and, you know, personal details and rape threats and death threats and mm -hmm. from, you know, political organisations. And that's a, it's a massive thing. And it, it really is quite... If you're less of a formidable character than a lot of us female journalists tend to have to be by default, it can be a very terrifying and very threatening thing. You know, we um, even with online dating, you mm. have three conversations with a man, all of a sudden he's stalking you and sending you photos of you at your office. And you are now trying to just get on with your life and, you know, do normal things. And now there's somebody stalking and harassing you. And a lot of a lot of men, there seems to be this like the rise of the incels in the US, you know, there's, as women have grasped their own power, a lot of men have reacted very negatively to that and become more dangerous and more obsessive and more crazy and more determined to just beat us back into submission. And, and that's resulted in a lot of, a lot of that playing out online and a lot of stalking and harassment and, which is a problem. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that most tech companies have male executives and male leaderships and male devs, they're not necessarily evil people in and of themselves, but the way they use tech and the way they perceive the world is different to the way women would. And mm -hmm. having more women in those spaces would be a good start to addressing these sorts of issues. Was that what kind of really inspired you to start Women in Tech? Um, no, actually. <laughs> I mean, you'd think, but no. <laughs> so Women in Tech, um, the reason I'm the co-founder is a friend of mine, Paul, was um, is a Unix geek deluxe. One of the typical sits in the back room, doesn't say much, and shove pizza under the door once a week. 
And he was working with a lot of incredibly smart women also in that back room environment. And they really don't get a lot of exposure, partly because people don't know they're there and partly because of their particular introverted geek personality type. They don't want people to know they're there. They're like, no, thank you. Leave me alone. I don't want to be in the spotlight. He was like, there are a lot of really awesome women out there. We need to showcase. We need to show the world that actually we do have these incredible women with these incredible engineering skill sets and deep tech skill sets. So he approached me, knowing me as a journalist, um, and said he wants to start this website doing this. Am I keen to run with it? Because he's not a publisher. He doesn't understand how this works. It's not his, not his wheelhouse, as we say. So, yeah, so that was eight years ago, I think. And I kind of thought, well, it's cool. You know, I'll, I'll publish something once a week. It'll be a, a nice side project. And um, then I launched it and was overwhelmed with responses. And I'm like, okay, so much for the theory about it being a side project. But it's, yeah, it's still, unfortunately, still a side project because at the end of the day, I have to earn a living and paying clients mm -hmm. will always, always take precedence. But yeah, the, the overarching rationale um, mm -hmm. for women in tech was to provide a place to just showcase women and to show younger women trying to get into the sector that there are brown women and black women and, you know, women of all colors, shapes, sizes and skill sets from the receptionists through to the, you know, electrical engineers, they are all there and you're not alone in this. Mm. So that's kind of what it's been there for. I try to keep that rolling. Uh, there, there is a massive need to, to expand and to do more. But the nice thing is that since Women in Tech started, there are a lot more organizations and um, it's a lot more awareness. So there's a lot more people doing stuff in that space. So I've kind of just stuck to what I do again, because it's a side project and not I mean, try to grow and expand it into a, you know, mm -hmm. world dominating, world leading organization. Yeah. So, so our listeners, I mean, just for our listeners, if they go to womenintech.co.za, um, really, I mean, I had a lot of fun, yeah, a lot of fun just reading the stories of the profiles of the different women, really nice variety of women. Um, and it's updated fairly regularly, so, so it's fairly active. Um, there was an interesting statistic on, on, on the website, though, and I think it was that around 23% of women, of, of um of tech jobs in South Africa are actually held by, by women. And that's fairly low given the huge push, certainly in South Africa, um, 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 to get women in, in, in STEM. Um, what do you think, are, are, I mean, why, why is that? Um, so the first disclaimer about that stat is that it's now, it's become relatively old, if I'm not mistaken, it's about five years old. I use mm -hmm. the Department of Labor's um, quarterly labor statistics forecasts, and I haven't found one since that actually lists women in tech. I keep looking for them, but I actually don't have those figures. From anecdotal evidence and from the employment data published by people like Google and Facebook and the like, mm -hmm. if you honestly had to ask me, I'd suspect that we've now dropped from around 23% to around 18% representation in the sector. We're going backwards. Um, and we're mm -hmm. definitely going backwards in the big US and, and multinational globals. And I, I don't think South Africa is much better. I think um, there's a lot of reasons for those, particularly within our socioeconomic context. One is that younger women getting into the sector are then often derailed by getting married and having kids. The, which in and of itself is not a problem, but the problem is that our societal makeup is that the bulk of the workload and the domestic load is still expected mm -hmm. to be borne by the woman. So whereas in perhaps the Nordic states, 
you'll have men staying home to look after the kids for the first year. Here, it's always the woman who shoulders the burden. And mm. the problem with the tech sector is it moves really quickly. And you then emerge, you know, even a year, two, three, five years later, trying to get back into the workspace. And now you've completely fallen behind with tech. So we've, we tend to lose a lot of women um, then, in their early 20s, around mm -hmm. that stage. We tend to, something like the um, Department of Education published stats to the effect that 50% of enrollments in science, technology, engineering, and maths degrees are female. By the time we get to post-grad level, we've lost most of them. So you, you're kind of like, well, where are they going? Mm. Why, are we, why are we seeing this massive drop-off? The one thing still, I think, which is very much less so in our younger generation, let's be honest, they are very woke and very aware and tend to mm -hmm. not put up with the kind of crap we had to put up with when we were studying. But there's still my generation telling their kids that, you know, math is for boys. Um, mm. so, you know, girls can't do that. That's not, that's mm. not early. You know, ladies don't do that. So that, those mindsets persist. Um, certainly, as I said, there's a lot of a lot of our culture in South Africa is still very patriarchal. The stereotypes are that you know you as a girl will grow up, get married, have kids, and that is your sole fate in life. Mm. So yeah, we lose women that way. We lose them to your some of your industries are still very very male dominated, and they are traditional men who are like who is the little woman in the corner trying to make her voice heard, and that can be difficult and demoralizing. So women wander off and find more interesting things to do where they don't have to put up with being demeaned. 24 mm. seven or else they just go home and never come back. It's mm. a, it's a multifaceted problem and it's one that we need to tackle more coherently as a society. And we're not. Mm. I mean, one of the things, is. one of the things you've spoken about before is the implementation of it um, in high schools and, and really encouraging learners in their formative years to think about that. Um, um, what can schools do better? I think certainly in primary school level, we need to make sure that we're solidly teaching them reading, writing, and arithmetic, the three R's, um, because mathematical and reading and language skills are critical to going into, into tech careers. And I think on an even basic education level, we are failing our kids badly. So in primary school, we're already setting them up. The other attitude then is of teachers and parents of, you know, what are you telling your girl or boy children about what they can do as appropriate careers? Because that in primary school, you start seeing that there was, I saw a, a study recently that girls up to about eight are same kind of um, aptitude and ability as boys for math, science and stuff. From the time they're nine up, which is when they start hitting that pre-teen self-awareness phase, that drops off dramatically and their confidence in their ability to do that drops off dramatically. And you have to ask, where is that coming from? Mm -hmm. It's because that's what they're being told. It's not true, but they believe it because they're kids and they believe what you tell them. Mm -hmm. So that needs to be tackled um, from a high school point of view. I'm not sure really forcing everybody to code as a, as a subject at high school level is particularly useful. I think what we do need more to do again is to reinforce maths, science, biology, English, Afrikaans, whatever other languages you feel are most appropriate for your, for your child. And um, critical thinking, and particularly in the internet era, you know, how to differentiate fact from fiction, mm -hmm. you know, fake news spotting, how to think critically about the world around you, how to go find information, how to analyze it, how to make some use out of it. Because those are all basic skills that for a career in tech or coding are critical. And for any kind of career critical, and we're not teaching kids that. So we, we, we expect them to just 
absorb all of this information like little sponges. Then we throw them into university where we're asking them to think perhaps a little bit more broadly. And they're like, mm. wait, what? We haven't been taught to do this. Mm-mm. And then we throw them into the working world where again, they're being asked to think and they're like, what? The, the disconnect is massive. And the schools and the education system are always going to be behind coding languages and programming languages. And, and that's just mm-hmm. the nature of the beast. They move slowly in terms of developing curricula. But if we can instill a strong foundation, if we can instill strong soft skills and confidence mm-hmm. in our kids, then we're equipping them to go off and teach themselves stuff, to mm-hmm. go find things. You've got Khan Academy, you've got Udemy, you've got the entire of YouTube. There are tons of freely available resources for people of all ages to, to teach themselves to code and stuff. But that, that basic, those foundational elements are, are unfortunately missing. Mm. So, I mean, the, the, the drop-off from university to the workplace is also significant. What's the reason for that? Um, I'd be speculating wildly, but um, I do know a lot of people, certainly by my age, who actually study something and, and kind of leave varsity having discovered that what they studied and mm. what they thought they were interested in, they actually don't particularly like doing at all. Um, otherwise they struggle to find jobs because they don't have experience they can't get experience because they can't get a job so they end up taking the first job they can get because you know you've got to eat Um, and yeah and then as I said depending on your universities or environments you know some people go travel for a while and get Mm -hmm. sidetracked by something they're more passionate about it's Mm -hmm. uh I don't have any firm um, data on why that happens which is why I said be speculating wildly but you can probably kind of hazard a few guesses yeah. and certainly the male dominated nature of it. If you look even around in South Africa, if you look at our tech media, I mean, mm. it's all pale male and freaking, at least they don't wear bad suits anymore. Now they just <laughs> wear bad college shirts and golf shirts, but it's all white men. I'm like, dudes, you know, mm. where this is South Africa. We have like 6 million white people in the country. Why must we put them on our, all of our media? Mm. Why must it always be men? And that people look at that and they go, I don't see people like me there. So why mm. must I go there? Mm. And that I think puts a lot of women off. Yeah. So I mean, the, if you could put on your, um, 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 your futurist hat, um, what do you predict are going to be the major changes in terms of digital or internet um, rights in the upcoming years? Um, I think Meta and Google and the rest of them are going to be forced to sort out their buggy racist algorithms and their mm-hmm. um, faltering problems mm-hmm. to make the internet more safer for people who want to use it in those sorts of spaces. I think regulators are going to force them to do that. I also think the younger, younger work generation coming up don't think the working world really realizes what they're in for with this younger mm-hmm. work generation because they are... They are fierce and they are terrifying. And businesses like Meta and the rest of it, they're going to need to hire them, which means they're going to need to clean up their acts. And they're going to want them to use their services, which again means they need to clean up their acts. And they're now the ones that I'm encountering and in, in my, my friends' children, they're all in like, you know, now they're late teens, early 20s, and they're not perhaps old enough to be taken all that seriously. But as they move through the ranks, they're going to, and they're going to disrupt a lot of stuff, which I think is fantastic. I think those of us watching them go need to cheer them from the sidelines and do what we can mm. in our own capacities to, to improve things with the, with the power and influence that we have. Um, yeah, on a more generic level, I mean, the internet access is going to carry on expanding the fact that everything in, in the world, for Africans, we're uh, consuming the web on our mobile devices. I think that's going to change a lot of the nature of how the web is built. 
and how it's consumed as businesses realize that if it's not playable on web on mobile then you're missing out on a massive audience and yeah i think more women are going to make their presence and their views known online and we'll start to see that that balance shift mm. what do you think needs to happen actually in order to to narrow that gender gap in technology yeah um Honestly, the companies, and some of them are, actually, I think Salesforce, for example, has a program in place that specifically looks for women who have left the tech sector to go and have kids and want to come back but have lost um, touch and specifically has programs for them, spend six months getting them up, put them back into the workforce. I think mm -hmm. we need more things like that. We need more organizations to realize that um, they need women in the workforce, in the tech workforce. A lot of them, I mean, bless them, They, you know, I, I deal with a lot of a lot of small tech businesses and startups and stuff, and they often don't realize exactly how pale, male, heavy they are and how that comes across to other people trying to enter their business because they're nice enough people. They really are. The large majority of the people I deal with are just like, we just do this stuff and we don't necessarily think too hard or too critically about mm. what it must be like as a young black woman to come into my organization. So I think we need mm. people to start thinking harder about that stuff. We need to think harder about diversity. I think in South Africa, it's always difficult because there's a lot of fatigue about that. Oh, for God's sakes, it's about race again, isn't it? Like, yes, sorry, guys, it is. You know, a lot of things is about race and gender. And um, those things are not elements you can get away from. So you can either start thinking about it more holistically and critically, or else you eventually get to get, get to a point where your organizations aren't going to grow because... Mm. I mean, as I say, Pinterest, for example, I think has 23% female uh, employees, but 80% of their customers are women. No. How are you developing products for people who aren't in your business? Mm. What are your business opportunities are you missing out on? Because, you know, the guys who use Pinterest use it quite differently to the way women do. So what opportunities are they missing? Because they're not reaching their target audience because the target audience isn't in the business in the first place. So I think that needs to change. I think in South Africa, we have so many, so many issues to tackle, but um, yeah, starting out just, I think with people in the tech sector, being aware of the fact that there are things that need to change the good one. And most of them do seem to, even if they're a bit, you know, flummoxed mm -hmm. as to exactly where to start tackling it. So Samantha, to the women listening to this podcast, I mean, if they are on the edges of technology and, and really until now have kind of thought that's not for me, what kind of advice would you give them? Find something you're passionate about. If, if tech really interests you, then find an element of it that you're passionate about and go with that. I mean, I know some people are quite calculating about their career choices and they go for where they can get uh, salaries or status. Or But if, you, if you're interested in tech, go find something that you're passionate about and then go find a tribe of women who are into the same kind of stuff. And, you know, do what the guys do. The guys network and boys club. <laughs> network and boys club with the women. There are tons of us out there. Uh, some of us are quite vocal and high profile. And even just in your own smaller communities, to reach out to people and go, hey, you know, I'm trying to learn how to do this. Is anybody else struggling? Okay, let's see if we can teach each other. Mm -hmm. You know, look to the resources like Udemy and Khan Academy and YouTube. You can learn an enormous amount online and then start mucking around and, and you know, play with it. Learn, learn new skills, talk to new people, read. Um, yeah, read the media that you're in the space you're interested in getting into. 
to get an idea of what topics and trends are. LinkedIn is a great resource, if only because it tends to be substantially less prone to, to abuse than most of the other social networks. So there are groups there for women getting into tech who are in tech, Python programmers, Java programmers, you name it, there's a there's an interest group there somewhere. And as a woman, you can find and join those virtually and, and get support and uh, assistance. It really is out there. You just, you have to take the first step. That's really good advice. And I love the idea of finding your tribe and, and, and just kind of building your own networks of support, but also your networks of knowledge. Um, um, so on that note, I'm going to say thank you very much, Samantha. Um, we're at the end of this episode. Thank you so much, Samantha, for joining us for this. It was really an interesting discussion, and I think that we could have spoken a lot more. Um, we're going to um, be talking a lot about this issue over the coming weeks, but we're also going to be looking at some of the solutions. As always, thank you for listening to Change Voices. Remember to rate the podcast um, um, on your favorite platform and to share with other leaders. Join us next time as we continue to explore the technology ecosystem and the leadership challenges and opportunities um, these present. So thank you very much.